Welcome to the Elevate podcast, brought to you by the Registered Master Builders. Each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us get the best from our businesses, our teams, and ourselves. I'm your host, Ryan Castle. We talk to experts, advocates, and business owners in the construction industry to share their knowledge, insights, and experiences to help you build a better business and enjoy a better life. Now let the business building begin. Ken, welcome along to the Master Builders Elevate podcast. We're so delighted to have you on the show today. Really happy to be out here, Ryan. A pleasure. Yeah, my day is better for seeing you. Uh, thank you. And we've got uh, some different time zones happening, so it's nice to be able to connect. Uh, for our audience, I think it'd be really helpful. Can you give us a bit of background? What, How have you arrived in construction? Did you start with a hammer in your hand? What's been your journey? How did I start in construction? Okay, so my granddad owned a construction company in Ireland. The story of that was when he died, actually, the newspaper article said the man who built Galway, which is the west of Ireland. So he built schools, he built all these stuff that's still there now. And construction was something I always wanted to get into. And um, the kind of the arc of that story, which is which is why I'm quite passionate, is when he died, one of his sons took over my uncle with a different philosophy. His original philosophy was 33% profit, 33% materials, 33% um, people. And if it didn't stack up, he didn't do it. Full stop, that was it. Very simple. And my uncle came in with a different philosophy, high leverage, bigger projects, um, and ultimately the company went bust. Now, if we go to Galway now, in where where his yard was, there there's, um, there's various different iterations of what happened after, but it was called Brennan's... Brennan's Yard was the name of a hotel, then it was the name of a restaurant, and I think it's it's changed now. So construction has been in my family for a long time, but I think when I was young, different times, right, um, never get away with this now, but my father was very, um, you know, he was a hardworking man, and he wanted me to be hardworking, and also keep me out of trouble, I think. And so every summer, the, uh, I think the first year we were 13 and he sent us to work on a building site. And his thing was, you know, I, I'll I'll pay for you, you know, generally to exist, right? But I won't pay for you to have any sort of fun, right? That was his philosophy. So if you want to go and have fun, you got to earn your own money as in if you want to go and do these things, right? I was like, okay, fair enough. And so every summer, at the end of the summer, we used to go on a, on a holiday to Spain. And so it was about getting enough spending money on to go on that holiday to have fun. That that was that was it very very simply. And so he got us onto a building site at thirteen, myself and my cousin, to be laborers. Two weeks later, ter- two thirteen-year-old boys, right in Ireland, on a building site in the, in Portleach, were building a cinema, and it was a very it was a start of construction. And he was interested. Drove by with my mother the building site to see if they could see us. Right to see if we weren't messing around or whatever, and what did he see? He saw myself and my cousin driving dumper trucks, right at thirteen, moving stuff around from A to B. And he's like, "What the hell is going on here?" Right. So construction has been in, and then over time, they said to me, "Look, because I guess because of my granddad's business going out of business, they said, hey, don't go contracting subcontractor side, go client side, get a degree.'" try and work your way in, into that. And ultimately, that's what I did. Um, and went in and um, worked for some of the largest oil and gas companies in the world, um, Chevron, uh, Impex is the Japanese version of, of, of that company, all, are, all around the world, essentially. 
and um, all on construction, big construction sites. Um, and then over time, work for a consultancy. And my job was to go into these big companies, these big G- GCs, these main contractors, oil and gas, and advise them on on specifically how to save money via contracts, how they can you know, reduce their spend. And so over time, I was able to see how the insides of these companies work. And I could also see how many contractors were were losing money because they didn't understand the insides of these companies. And so they were losing money, going out of business time and time and time again. And they they just didn't understand how to play the game internally. And once you understand it, then you can navigate the insides of these bigger companies. And so um, having candidly put so many construction companies out of business i was like i can't do this anymore my granddad wouldn't be proud of this particular thing and so that's that's where quantum came about um and that's it that was uh five five years ago now um and now we're in the us we're in australia we're in new zealand we're in canada and so yeah it's been it's been a journey but it's been enthralling Indeed. Hey, what a uh, fabulous backstory. Uh, and you've certainly earned your stripes in the industry. So thanks for sharing that with us, Ken. And Quantum Contract Solutions, give us the synopsis of how you now help organizations. And then we're going to uh, talk some more about some of the key things that you're observing in industry, some of the trends that are happening, maybe how uh, organizations can be more effective in their contract negotiations, et cetera. So we're going to dive into that. But just before we do, give us give us the, the background on how you really help organizations through your business. Yeah, okay. So you know how a lot of these subcontractors get very difficult contracts. And what, what happens is the, you know, a PwC or an Ernest & Young has come in or a Bain or someone has advised all of these companies that you need to have stronger contracts to push the risk down because it'll save you money. That's what's happened. And so ultimately what happens in the industry is the sub that further down the chain you go, the more risk there is. They push the risk down, 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 down to protect themselves. And if you're in their position, you probably do the same thing. But what that means is subcontractors or contractors, depending on the, the, the chain of what you're in, end up getting the riskiest contracts and they haven't got the teams to be able to negotiate them. That's kind of the first problem. In the, and then in the second second part of it is, because they're so complex, there's a lot of obligations that you have to do in the post-award phase to be compliant, to make sure that you get change orders and extensions of time approved. If you don't do them, you don't get them approved. And as I said before, it was my job to make sure that if they're not approved, that they're not going to be paid, right? So... It's the opposite. I'm trying to make, okay, so what we actually do is in the front end, we help them negotiate construction contracts. Um, and, you know, our average success rate is 82% of what we put forward gets gets approved. So you can imagine the risk reduction that is to a company. It's, it's you know, two, three, four fold like risk reduction uh, as to what can happen. And then in a post-award phase, we do all of the paperwork for you. So you don't have to worry about it. So your project managers on site can just concentrate on getting the work done rather than having, you know, a lot of these companies have a project manager whose side hustle is doing the, the contract stuff as well, right? Submitting the paperwork, which is which is hard for that person. And then also we have a full team of experts that you just get immediate access to. So any trouble that you have, you, you click a button, you got a Zoom meeting and straight up advice. Um, and that's it. Um, and so on, on the, the post-award side, um, from our, our data, 
is it's it's almost tw- we're uh, we we get almost twice the amount of change orders and EOTs approved than you normally would. Hey, thanks for sharing that, Ken. And I'm yet to come across anyone in the construction sector that goes, "I joined the sector so I could spend all my time doing contracts." Except uh, for me, you know, right? <laughs> except for you, except for you, right? So you're you're definitely an anomaly, uh, but I haven't haven't come across any others. So. Uh, get that it's good to have some help. Would be really interested to get your observations of the landscape overall. Uh, obviously, the predominant number of our listeners are in New Zealand, so we'd be particularly interested in New Zealand trends. Uh, and maybe if you could tell us a couple of organisations you've worked with in New Zealand and then kind of what you're seeing in the contract landscape there. Yeah, so just I have just a little list here beside me. So just to name a few, we've got, we've got quite a lot in New Zealand. Esther, that's good. BG Cook Construction, the Cladding Company, Global Engineering. They're just at the, the, the top. Of, we have a lot of construction companies. And and the reason New Zealand came around is quite interesting. Um, and this is, you know, this is our view on it and and from talking to to so many construction companies in New Zealand is that the US and Australia have been contractual for a, a long time fact right it's just just a bit more I, I, I'm not saying advanced that's the wrong word just a bit more that way okay mature whereas yeah m- maybe mature but New Zealand had a lot of stuff was relationship based and so most you know it was less contractual it was more relationships and what's happened in New Zealand specifically is over the last 10 or 15 years one is the same thing right people are getting more advanced smaller companies have better corporate governance and they're being uh, they're also being advised just like every other company has that you need to push the risk end away they just become more sophisticated themselves the second part is a lot of large australian companies or global companies have come into New Zealand to do projects. And so with that, they're taking those, those, the way they do business that way. And so all of a sudden, New Zealand has become a lot more contractual. The landscape has completely changed. And that's why we're getting so many people reaching out to us saying, oh, I've never dealt with this sort of, you know, I'd love to use some New Zealand terminology, this sort of crap before, right? And, And how do I deal with it? And so... That, that's what's happened over the last 10 or 15 years in general. But recently, everyone can feel that the construction industry has changed. It's shifted a little bit. And, you know, interest rates going up, materials hard to get, people hard to get. It makes it very difficult to deliver on a lump sum project. And, and so many people are in lump sum projects. So there's a lot of difficulty right now contractually. People are getting hit with liquidated damages, people not getting paid, and also ultimately... A lot of companies going out of business. Uh, often the subcontractors are the one that get hurt the most when that uh, head contractor goes out of business. The, the yeah, I mean, I, I completely just almost, it's not that there's nothing you can do about it. There is, right? And we can talk about that in a second, but that's really unfair. You've done nothing wrong. And and yes, you're not going to be paid a large amount of money because your head contractor, general contractor has gone out of business. Brutal. So if we were to summarize, we'd say that maybe the New Zealand uh, market has gone from a slightly more casual approach to contracts, maybe even further back, we could do a handshake with someone and uh, they would be honored and we go through. We've now moved into a much more mature, uh, very detailed, complex contracts to be uh, evaluated and negotiated on on the way through. Would that be a fair summary of kind of how you're seeing uh, the change in the New Zealand landscape? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and then to be fair, it's still relationship. There is still, it's more relationship based than than any other um, country we deal with. 
but the, the shift has happened and I would expect that the shift will continue to happen. I'm sure many people listening are going, I hear you, uh, contracts is not something I wake up in the morning and, and go, can't wait to go and do some contract negotiation or read the 400-page document from the uh, head contractor. Um, there's maybe a little bit of apprehension with our members thinking about being involved in those large contracts. What would be advice you would give to someone around who's maybe feeling that, going, I'm not feeling too confident about being involved with uh, maybe these head contractors that have a team of legal experts and external advisors, where should they think about getting started? Well, just firstly, when, when a lot of people don't, that's not their jam, right? So I, I run the organization, so I'm not involved oftentimes in the day-to-day -day work, except for when there's a, a difficult dispute, in which case the only reason I do that is because I absolutely love doing it. I love getting in there and building strategies on how we can get people paid. That's that's exciting for me. I really enjoy that. And I guess the big thing is so many construction companies, particularly the smaller ones, the less mature construction companies, are of the opinion that if you try to negotiate the contract, they're going to give the work to somebody else. And and that is not true, uh, I categorically say. And given our results, our average success rate is 82% of what we tried to negotiate gets approved. So you know the proof is in the actual statistics. What actually is the case in reality, and I've I've been on the other side and I've seen this, so let's say there's five people bidding for work. If four people try to negotiate the contract and you don't try to negotiate. They don't think that you're easy to deal with. It's a red flag to say, oh, these guys, this is not their, this is their first time playing this game. Because the actual, and I, I say a game because it is, it's 100% a game in that they will give you their worst possible contract knowing and expecting you to negotiate. And they have backups to every single part of the contract. Yeah, okay, if they don't agree to this one, we'll give them this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. So you're doing yourself a massive disservice not trying to negotiate. One, you don't look professional, looks like you don't know what you're doing. And two, just the amount of like risk is, is silent, which is difficult, right? So if you get more, like let's just say we're a type of business that gives you, you know, we win a project for you. You can feel that because the money comes in. It's, it, it's felt. But risk oftentimes is not felt because the, the thing doesn't happen. And so when the thing doesn't happen, you're like, ah, oh, that's fine. So it's the perception of risk. The perception of risk is very similar to the perception of safety. So if you remember, if, um, you know, at the start of your construction career, you know, or, or anyone's, they go on site Maybe me when I was 13, you're cavalier. You don't see the risks. And then as you progress, you you get, oh, you understand, oh, well, there is safety risks, right? And then at the end of the career, you've been on a project for so, you've been doing this for so long, 35, 40 years, and nothing's ever happened. And then your perception of risk has gone down. But that's just a perception of risk, which is a bell curve. But the actual risk is completely linear. It's a line. It doesn't matter what you think about it or what happens. That risk is the risk. And so in construction, when we when we look about the actual risk, if the thing doesn't happen, doesn't mean that the risk isn't there, but if it does happen, it's very, very painful. And so we're in the business of making sure that doesn't happen. And to try when you're negotiating your contract, the best construction companies know this. And they'll negotiate their the biggest and best because what we're trying to do is protect the downside. If something happens, we just don't want it to be a big thing, we want it to be a small thing. And that way you can sustain being a construction company over a long period of time. And again, from our data, we can see that the most successful companies, and, and this is probably obvious, 
is the ones that are in business the longest. They're the biggest. They have the most time to compound over. And so that's really the goal. How can we, the goal is not to start a business. The goal is to stay in business. How can we stay in business over a long period of time? And so that's, that's really why we're trying to negotiate. It's really protecting your downside. It's almost like insurance. It's, it's you have to do it. I think you're coming to knowledge is power. So if you if you really understand what's going on in the in the game, then you're in a position to be able to have a not only an honest discussion with your head contractor, but a very informed one and make sure that we're arriving in a position that is, I don't know if you use the term win-win, maybe, but... Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so the way we go about it, it doesn't have to be, a lot of people think you're being aggressive when you're negotiating. You're, you're not at all. That is not the way to do it. When you're trying to negotiate, it's like, so almost everyone listening today will be able to pick up a set of drawings and understand the drawings better than your average punter on the, on the side of the road. Like very complex drawings. As, and that's part of the contract. Another document as part of the contract is the terms and conditions of the contract. And so you need to also be able to interpret. You don't need to you don't need to know the ins and outs of it. You just need to understand how this clause can affect me financially or from a risk perspective. And then when you're sitting there and you're chatting to them or you're preparing your, your negotiation document, often called departures or clarifications, you can say, you can explain to them clearly, we can't agree to this because of X, Y, Z. We, we, and, this, and, and then you know the things that are important to your company that I can't, I can't go into this contract agreeing to this specific thing because it will do this thing. When you understand it from that level, then you can have good negotiations and then you come across really professional. They're like, okay, well, you know, scaffolding company, why do they have security? Right. There's no DLP. Right. So you can have it. You can have a, a conversation about like, what's the purpose of, of holding security? And then, you know, they're like, we'll be as soon as we're finished, we're gone. There's no DLP period. So why are you not giving me the second half of my security back for 12 months? It's, it doesn't make sense. And they go, yeah, you're right. It doesn't make sense. So that sort of stuff are conversations that you can have. And we often talk about the fact in construction that because of the size of the projects, but often the size of the margin is quite small, that you uh, you win small in construction, but you also have the opportunity to lose big. So That's if right. something goes goes south, it goes south very, very badly. And the extreme scenario of that is if you are uh, left completely out of pocket because someone else has gone into liquidation. So what advice would you give to our members about how they avoid becoming a casualty? If we look at the, the, re the retention and uh, retainer or security, whatever it's called in your contract. A lot of times, if the it's a, it's ten percent of the contract value, more often than not, right? Or or five or, or whatever it is. But if if you're not getting that back for a year, that's your whole margin. That you're so you're making no profit for a year. And so, simple thing like if if the if that period of time is not tied to your contract, but it's tied to the prime contract, the head contract, the project being completed, it could be delayed longer through no fault of yours. You have no control over that. So being able to explain that to a client is really, really important. But ultimately what they have to do generally, and contract management in my view is quite simple, is that you have to pre prepare a body of evidence. So it all happens in the last quarter of a construction, but everything kicks off. People, these closeout teams come into the, the general contractors, main contractors, to try and save money in that in the final quarter. And 
if they can, if they can see that you haven't complied with the contract, you've not complied with the notice provision, they're not going to pay you as much as possible. It always happens. And in your final payment application, more than likely that's where it kicks off as well. So all we're trying to do is from a paperwork point of view, as the project goes on, you want to have yourself ready, protected with paper so that when that kicks off, they look at you and they say, ah, oh, these guys are fully covered. We'll, we'll, we'll try and save money elsewhere. That's that's really it. That's all we're trying to do. And so if you can do that, then you're in a much better position. But if you haven't done that, you're over a barrel. Right? They're not going to pay you. And, and really, the one move that they use all the time is for whatever reason, they'll come up with something, you're late. Maybe you don't believe you're late and they don't pay you. They're, it's payment on account. And so they don't pay your final invoice. They, they withhold X amount or they threaten to. And then you have a, a conflict, a dispute about it, and then they pay you a small portion of that, way less than you think you should be. So we're protecting ourselves against that. That is really it. If you've done that, and if you follow everything in the contract specifically, and the GC goes out of business, what actually happens is liquidators come in and then they, they, they'll distribute whatever money's left. And so if you're the guy that has all the paperwork and has done all the thing, you are more likely to get paid than the guy who hasn't. And so that's, again, what we're trying to do. Does that make sense? And look, it certainly does. And it's a common message. We're uh, very fortunate to have the team at Hazelton Law, uh, part of the membership community at Master Builders. And the message continually is create great paperwork, communicate often, always make sure uh, things are up to up to date. And for that exact reason that when it gets to the situation, you've got all those bases covered, things have been communicated all the way through, the chance of getting a good outcome is a whole lot better rather than, oh, don't you remember that call we had six and a half months ago when I was sitting in the ute and we both agreed something verbally? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's, 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 that's jumped two things into my mind. The first thing is how do I do that without appearing confrontational okay that's the first thing and the 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 answer i'll give you straight the answer is so people think what normally happens is people do nothing until the final quarter and then get super contractual lawyers everything and and that's how you ruin a relationship that's how you do it wrong how you do it right and how the big companies do it is you start off submitting notices and doing all of this from the beginning. And then they just think, oh, these guys are just switched on. They're professional. They know what to do. And then you're building your body. If you just switch that on halfway through the project or whenever, they're like, oh, these guys are building up for a claim, you know, you know, and they get very worried. And it, it's, the, it's the change is the problem. So to do it in a non-confrontational way, you say, well, you know, at the start of the project, you just start doing it right there and then. Okay, so that's the that's the first thing. The second thing is relationships. And if we speak about specifically about relationships in construction, relationships, don't get me wrong, are very important. They are a part of our strategy of of, of um saving money, without a doubt. But relationships, they it's not that they oftentimes you you end up having a bad relationships. The, the, what actually happens in construction is relationships go missing. In that, I give the example of the closeout teams coming in. So a closeout team will come in, everyone who is on that project has moved to a different project. All of a sudden, you're dealing with someone different. And they're like, exactly what you said there previously, Ryan. We had a phone call with Jimmy, and now Jimmy's left. Now, I'm sorry, I can't rely. Now we have to rely on the contract. So relationships go missing. Other one is, if you think about it, if things are happening in the last quarter of a project, the opposing person that you're dealing with has one foot looking at what am I going to, is this project's coming to an end? I need, I need more work. So he's looking at getting new jobs or internally moving to a different project that if he gets offered a contract for 
a three-year job somewhere else and he's at the end of a job, he's going he's gonna to jump ship because he got three years worth of work. And so again, the guy that you've been dealing with goes. And so relationships we've got to think about, it's not just about maintaining a good relationship, that's important, but relationships can go missing. And so we got to protect ourselves against that happening. We can't rely on a relationship because they might go. Really good, uh, good insights. And Ken, we see so often cash flow uh, is king. And when you get cash flow wrong, the uh, can have catastrophic effects. And we often see that some of the organizations that fail due to cash flow are the ones that are actually growing the most because growing businesses consume a lot of, a lot of cash. Um, mm-hmm. What have been your observations around uh, making sure you manage cash flow effectively and don't fall into the trap of uh, growing too fast and running out? Well, the growing too fast is taking on projects that you can't actually deliver on. So that's one thing. So the, don't do that. That's it. <laughs> okay. So, but most construction companies do not die of starvation. They die of indigestion. And that is cash flow restriction, restriction, restriction. You don't, no one goes bang. People get strangled to death. And so we need to protect ourselves against that. So what are the things that ruin a cash flow is one is being in the hole from, from the start, as in like, you know, I'm not getting paid my first invoice for 30, uh, like 60, 90 days, right? So if you think about it, you work, you work for a month, even if it's 30 day payment terms, you work for a month and then you have 30 day payment terms. You don't get paid for 60 days. So you're already running negative cash flow. So how can we tackle that issue first? That issue to get tackled first. And it is possible. And I'll give you a story. I was chatting to two different CEOs that we help. And I go, have you, you do ever ask for a prepayment or cash up front? And uh, one CEO was like, no, they'd never give it to me. I'd, no, no, no. And the other one was like, yeah, I've been doing it for five years, every time, right? And so it's it's neg- trying to get a prepayment into your business model, right? And you can say, hey, you know, it's really hard to get materials now. So we need to secure them now, which means we need a, an, an upfront payment just to secure the materials. Then we'll secure the materials and then we're good to go. We're going to be able to deliver a better project for you. That's one reason. Another reason you could set you, you could potentially do is you could as part of your your bid you could you could trade a bit of your overall contract value for prepayment. You go if you give us a prepayment, it's going to give us you know ability to secure the same same reasons. But what we'll do is we'll knock um, a couple of percent off the total contract value, so you give us that, so it's beneficial to everyone. We're going to be able to deliver a better project. You've got a smaller cost that works. So then, nice. if you've ticked that box. Right, box number one. Now, in that first 30, 60 days, now you're cash flow positive, hopefully. So now you have a lot of money in the door early. So now you're cash flow positive. That's the first thing. Then the second thing is as we're moving along the project, you're always going to be asked to do additional work, like pretty much it's construction. You're always going to be delayed, right? And so, how quickly can you turn a change order or a change into money in the bank? That's really important. People don't understand how important that is. So what typically can happen is you do the work and then a little bit later you submit the change order for it. This is what, it's not good practice, but you, you submit it for it and then they battle you over it and then it's approved and then you and then you invoice for it and then it's 30 days. And it, it's a long time for you spending the money to you receiving the work. So let's minimize that. Let's be really quick with how quickly we turn those things around because if you do that, those change orders and those uh, delays are going to, the money from them is going to hit your bank because you, you've you experienced loss from doing that. So if you do that, then bang, 
you get the money quicker. So then now you're at a, at a better stage, you're getting money in the door quickly. And that's really it from a management of cash flow point of view. Obviously, they're going to use not approving things quickly as a tool against you. Because if they don't, then your cash flow gets hit. And so the squeaky wheel gets the oil. I can't emphasize this enough. you got to be the guys shouting the loudest and in a nice way. And so the first time you haven't been paid on time, the first time you're late, you got to be bang. Oh, here, we're waiting for this. We, it needs to be approved, blah, blah, blah. Um, because that then trains them. Oh, God, these guys are going to be a pain in the ass unless we approve the things quickly. And they will do it. If you're, if you're fine with being delayed and not being paid on time, and saying nothing, by saying nothing is not going to improve their behavior. They'll take advantage of you. They, it's it's in their best interest. They're doing the complete opposite of what you want. It's in their best interest to pay as little money as possible, use you as a credit card to finance the project, and then it, it makes their cash flow way better. So let's turn the tables. Nice. couple of great, great insights there. I'm keen. I've got a couple of other questions uh, for you. First one, I'd love to hear a favorite story of how you've helped a client. Uh, okay, from from we had this noise wall contractor, those concrete walls on either side of um, a highway. And so when we were discussing with him, we were chatting about the specific, you know, he was like, I don't appear too contractual, you know? Uh, and I was like, honestly, trust me on this one. And I gave him all the reasons I already gave to you. And he had two different bids that he was going for. One was a client that he already knew and one was a brand new client. And with, the, it, we, we agreed, okay, just do what you do with your normal client. That's fine, right? But this new client, can you let us do it? And so what we did was we did everything um, for them. And the feedback they got, because they were a new company to this client, the feedback they got was, thank you for your professionally worded departures, your negotiation. It gave us confidence that you knew what you were doing. And so that changed his mindset on everything. We got a really good contract in place. And they won the work because of that. Because yes. they're like, ah. Oh, these guys know what to do and they got their switched on. And that's the perspective shift that I would I would like people to to take on board. That is worth your while. It, it, it makes a huge difference. Thanks. Good insight. And Ken, final question. We uh, already in Master Builders, we've got a uh, working group made up of uh, industry people uh, across government, uh, industry, sector, uh, client representatives, subgroups, et cetera. And they're all really trying to address the situation of how do we make the environment more win-win, not uh, it's us versus you inside the inside the environment. So uh, Construction Accord really working on that. If I was to give you a, a magic wand, because you've, you've seen plenty of things, if I was to give you a magic wand and go, what I would do to help the industry become more effective spend more time just delivering great projects, not uh, being maybe so much time around contract and uh, ending up in litigation, et cetera. What would you do? We had standard contracts before, right? So there's Australian standards, there's AIA in, in the States, the New Zealand standard actually as well. Yes. And so they're standard contracts. Now what's happened in the industry at the moment is these companies take the standard contracts and amend them. So they look like a standard contract, but they're totally different. They, they may as well not be. What I would like is if we could go back to the standard contracts, but make them mandatory. You have to use the standard contracts as is. That would make things much fairer. However, money talks. Do I think that's actually going to happen? Probably not. So that is my magic wand thing. I think that would be the thing. But the problem with standard contracts is you're not obliged to use them. And it's not in if you're a client and if 
if you had a, a, a general contracting business or a main contracting business or you're a client, it is not in your best interest to use a standard contract. And therefore, you won't. Even if we know what we know now, it is not in your best interest. You, you won't do it. You'll be advised to otherwise. So that's the problem. But that is my magic wand. Good one. Okay. I'm going to take a slightly off topic for contracts now as we wrap up. Uh, we're recording this just ahead of the Rugby World Cup kicking off. Uh, we both come from proud rugby nations. I think Ireland currently has the number one uh, ranking in the world. I'm looking for a prediction for the World Cup. Who's going to win? France. Yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to join you on that prediction. I think they're going to be very, very tough at home. The only thing is that this is typical French though. So this is my problem with Ireland. Ireland, the Six Nations for those listening is like the big European tournament every year. And so Ireland whitewashed it last year, beat everybody and great. But Ireland have an, an issue with peaking beforehand. The French normally come in rubbish and then they do really, really well. And so the year before, their French were insanely good and they won everything. But last year, they weren't particularly good. So that worries me on both accounts. You know, it's a home World Cup for the, for the French as well. So that makes a difference too. Obviously, you can never write off the Kiwis. Indeed. And we hope that's certainly the case. Uh, and wouldn't, it, wouldn't an Irish uh, All Blacks final be a great outcome? I don't know whether the sides of the draw work out for that to be able to occur. Uh, but it's always a good time. We love being with the Irish supporters because they're super passionate about their rugby, but they're always a good time and good fun to be around as well. That would be absolutely fantastic if that was the case. Cool. Alrighty, Ken, thanks for your insights today. Uh, I think you've provided a lot of really uh, valuable elements to our listeners. If people in our audience want to reach out to you, learn more about what you and your organization do, what's the best way to get in contact? The best thing to do is you need to learn this stuff. Um, and so we have a podcast called Construction Secrets. Everything is there. Just listen to that and then you'll learn everything slowly but surely. You'll learn what you need to learn and then that'll get you to where you need to get. So when I talked about interpreting construction drawings, you'll be able to interpret a contract. That's full stop. That'll get you there. War stories, everything is you'll learn from those mistakes. Similar thing is on YouTube, the video versions on there. So check it out. In fact, on YouTube, if you... Uh, Google my name or YouTube my name, Kean Brennan, C-I-A-N Brennan or Construction Secrets, it'll come up. There's a playlist on there that is literally how to negotiate construction contracts. So go through that. That'll tell you what you should be looking for, what you're trying to do. It makes a, makes a big difference. And if you don't have time to do that, you can go to quantumcontractsolutions.com and we'll do it for you. Fantastic. Hey, good option. And thanks for uh, giving us access to those free resources. And we'll make sure we put those links in the show notes of the podcast. Ken, it's been a, a pleasure. Thanks so much again for sharing your time and your insights and your knowledge with us. And uh, good luck for the World Cup. Thank you. And you too. Bye-bye.